Good afternoon. You okay? Uh, now, I've got to start with something a little bit serious, I'm afraid, today. Uh, that is because I have noticed a trend. Some of you are celebrating Christmas even earlier than normal. Who is that? Come on. My wife being one. Come on, guys. Not until December. That's the rule, right? Anybody else? Give me any men. Come on. Uh, we even had we even had Mariah Carey playing in the house this morning. I couldn't believe it. Oh, I am a Scrooge until the first of December, and first of December comes, and I turn into the elf. I'm like, come on, Christmas, because I think if you do it too early, you spoil it for yourselves. Just putting the warning out there for you. Um, we are actually going to have a, a Christmas series this year that we hope will be really helpful for inviting friends along to. We're going to call it, you expect me to believe this, and um, we're going to look at things like angels appearing, a virgin giving birth, and a baby God. And we're going to answer some questions about why we believe that is absolutely true and changes the world forever. And um, great opportunity to invite people who don't know Jesus, who don't follow him at the moment, and um, get them along. I think this Christmas there are so, going to be so many opportunities. People out there are going to be feeling more isolated than ever, and we want to just be love to those people. And we also want to tell them there's good news, there's hope, because Jesus has been born. And... Um, this is just one of those opportunities. Uh, Lizzie's going to tell us a little bit more later about a toy appeal we're doing um, for kids on the south of Glasgow as well. So uh, looking forward to hearing about that. All right. Um, life to live. Ephesians, we're nearly there. Only got a couple left. And uh, I want to begin by just telling you about uh, a little event that took place Way back in 1812, war broke out between the Americans and its allies and the British and its allies. But the message of war didn't get to every soldier in the American army. In fact, there were soldiers based at Fort Mackinac. Sounds American, that doesn't it? Fort Mackinac. And an outpost near Lake Michigan who had no idea that they were at war. And so when 500 soldiers from the British army turned up and surrounded their fort, they were rather surprised and taken aback. They had no clue that they were going to be under attack. They had no clue that they were going to have to get ready to fight. And so their commander, Porter Hanks, again, definitely American, faced this def difficult choice. Fight and probably get slaughtered or surrender and hand themselves over to the British. That's what they did. Recalling today's talk from Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, God clothes us for the fight, but because it's not fashionable to talk about Satan and demons these days, there are many of us who walk around day after day after day not realizing that we are at war, not realizing that there is a fight to be fought. We're wandering around a war zone in flip-flops and a Hawaiian shirt. We need to realize 
that we're in a fight. Great 20th century, century pastor, theologian, G.I. Packer, he said this, I love G.I. Packer. The Christian's life is not a bed of roses. It is a battlefield on which he has to constantly fight for his life. The first rule of success in war is know your enemy. A Chinese military strategist Sun Tzu is generally regarded as one of the greatest military commanders there has ever been. And he said this, the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. And I put it to you that I think the enemy's supreme tactic of today is to get you to scoff at the danger, to get you to laugh as if the enemy doesn't really exist, as if the enemy is just some kind of Halloween costume with horns and a tail and a fork. But the enemy is real. He's prowling. He's looking to cause damage. He is more than a medieval caricature of him. Do you follow Jesus? We've got to wake up. You're in a fight. In a world of limitations and restrictions that we're in at the moment, not just because of COVID, but because of all kinds of things put on us, as particularly as Christians, we need to be reminded that we're part of an army that is advancing. We are part of the kingdom of God. And we have a commander, and his name is Jesus, and he has won the victory. And we fight with him. We get in behind him. And we need to know that he is limitless. So as we advance, and as we get ready for what will come at us, if we are pursuing Jesus with all our hearts, then we will see opposition. We need to see that there are rulers and authorities and powers and spiritual forces. But we also need to see that God has given us everything we need to fight that battle. Everything we need to overcome. Don't let it make you scared or timid. Let it make you trust in Jesus and follow after him, this great commander who leads us on. There is good news. He is getting us dressed for battle. So, Becky, you are going to come back up, aren't you, and read the passage for us. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Okay. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Excellent. Okay. I think we uh, have particular need to pray. So let's do that. Oh, Father, Father, thank you that you're here with us. We cry out, Abba, Father, and we say thank you that you have brought us near, that you are here this afternoon with us. Lord, would you help that sink into our hearts as we examine your word, as we hear from you? Lord, we we ask that you would speak into our hearts now in a way that, that makes us something different to what we were five minutes ago. That makes us realize who we really are already in you because of what you have done for us. And Lord, would you make us ready to fight? Help us to fight your way. Lord, help us not to fight like the world fights, but to fight your way and know that we're walking step by step with you, Jesus, towards Zion, this great heavenly city where one day we will be and there will be perfect peace. Lord, help us to fight towards that moment and that place here, not just for ourselves, but for the people around us, for our neighbors, for our colleagues, for the people we love, for our families. God, come now and speak with us, we pray. Make us aware of what the enemy is doing and make us potent to fight against him in the name of Jesus, who is the victor. Amen. All right, Paul begins, be strong. That reminds me of Joshua. Remember our Joshua series? Moses is dead. Now, get ready because you are going into the land. Get ready to step into enemy territory. Get ready to advance into the land that God has given you. God said to Joshua, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Christians, people who follow Jesus, are not called to live lives of passivity or timidity. We're no longer victims of the world, but soldiers in the world. That's who we are. First thing to notice there in verse 10, you are to be strong in the Lord. You are to be mighty in his power. So we don't look 
in the mirror for self-improvement and think, if I could just be more like this, or I could just be more like that, then I'd be much better at that. I'd be much more potent for God. I could be used more powerfully for him. I don't know what it is, and maybe I've reached a certain age, but Google seems to think that I need to work in my jawline. Somebody else had that? A jaw exerciser? Honestly, seems like every five minutes I get an advert pop up for a jaw exercise. I mean, what's wrong with me? Must be getting old. I think there's a temptation for us to mix up our motives. There's a temptation for us to think, well, if I was just cool enough, then people would accept me more and then I'd be more likely to be used by God. If I just had that jawline, if I uh, just had a better haircut, if I um, just had some better clothes to wear, looked a bit, you know, smarter, then maybe if I get a six-pack, maybe if I read more and I'm much smarter, then, you know, I might be much more effective. No, no, no. When it comes to faith in Jesus, we give up worldly personal ambition. Christians join his fight, Jesus' fight. We join him and his ways. We don't try and do it our own ways. We don't take to the world with the same fight that they fight with. God has made you a member of his advancing heavenly army. It is much more impressive than you looking in the mirror and thinking, I need a jawline exerciser. We need to be much more ambitious than that because God is with us. He is the one who fights with us, gives us the might, gives us the power. He is the one we need to trust on, rely on. So he gives us the armor of God. It's especially designed for you. For God knows you in every way. And he knows exactly what you need for the fight that he has made you to fight. It's a custom fit. Now, Paul is using the imagery of a Roman soldier. The visible might of Rome that was on every street corner. So these guys would have, they would have seen, especially in Ephesus, they would have seen Roman soldiers regularly. So this is really fresh in their minds. They know exactly what's being talked about here. And he uses that armor to shame it and show that even more powerful than Rome, even better than the armor of Roman soldiers, you as a soldier of the heavenly city of Zion are given an armor that will be far better and will far outlive these Roman soldiers and the power of Rome. Therefore, says Paul, put it on, put it on. There's a difference between ceremonial and combat dress. If you've been in the military, you'll know all about that. I, I can imagine those guys back in Fort Mackinac sitting around in their ceremonial dress. They might look smart, but they're not dressed for battle. 
too many of us are sitting around in our ceremonial battle, our ceremonial dress, but we've not put on the armor of God. We've not put on the armor that he has given us to fight. The time to fight is now. So what is it? What do we put on? Well, he begins with the belt of truth. And actually, Paul begins and ends this little section about the armor of God with the same idea. The belt of truth. Then at the end, he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Satan is the father of lies. And so we shouldn't be surprised that the antidote The way that we primarily fight is with truth. Put it on the belt, the belt of truth. Pick it up, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. One of Satan's tactics today is to say there is no truth. Now, that's an effective lie. If you can get people to believe that, that is so effective. And actually, it's been done in many cultures. I think sometimes we look at our own culture and we think, this is all new. This has never happened before. It's just nonsense. You look back through history and this claim has been made time and time again in different cultures. And I think that's what Satan does. He's, he is intelligent. We know that. He does have good strategies. We know that. But there's a limit to him. He seems to just do things in different ways in different cultures. And actually, we see it in the Greco-Roman culture of the first century. We see it when Jesus is on trial. It explains the interaction between Jesus and Pontius Pilate. Jesus said, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pontius Pilate responded this way. What is truth? His way of ending the conversation, exactly the kind of of stuff that we encounter regularly today is, well, what is truth? Well, you believe that and they believe that, so what am I supposed to believe? Truth is not relative. The word of God is better by far. From Trumpisms to neoliberal university lecturers, people believe the truth in some way, however it's expressed, is relative. But with God, we have the word, the truth embodied in Jesus. But it's far better than any other word in the world and better than a non-word, which really is a word when you think about it. Don't let these lies trip you up. That's why it begins with the belt. You see, the armor is put on top of the robes that they would have worn, these Roman soldiers. And to make sure that you didn't trip up, you needed a belt. And so belt on this belt of truth so that you're not tripped up by lies. When Martin Luther was hauled up in front of uh, Rome's powerful, intimidating imperial tribunal, In Worms, in in 1821, he was accused of being a traitor against Rome because he was proclaiming the truth from the Bible. He said this, 
I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. The might of Rome against them. It's neither right nor safe to go against conscience, actually. Here I stand. I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. See, he trusted God above the powers of the world. Truth holds us together. And truth is what we advance in. To advance against the enemy, we attack and we pick up the sword. The sword that slices through all those lies in people's lives, the lies that keep people from God, the lies that puff people up in pride and keeps them from God, the lies that slam people down into the dirt and keeps them from God, the kind of lies that crush, the kind of lies that elevate, the kind of lies that keep us from knowing and believing the truth about Jesus. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is alive and active, Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, do you see that Paul calls sword of the spirit the word of God? It's word and spirit. I know we talk about this a lot in classical grace, but when it comes up, I just want to point it out. It's so obvious to me. Truly spirit-filled life is one immersed in God's word. And a truly word-centered person is immersed in the spirit of God. You cannot separate the two. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to understand and know and live and embody the word of God. And we need the word of God if we're going to live a spirit-filled life. There is a kingdom to advance. New grace communities to begin, multiply. New people to encounter and come to faith. New churches to plant. There is a great kingdom advancing. And we are a part of it. Pick up your sword. Strap on your belt. That is how Jesus fought Satan in the desert during his temptation, wasn't it? Let's take the example of the commander. Follow after him. You're made for this. Now get dressed for battle. And then put on the breastplate of righteousness, says Paul. Now, the the first place we have to start here is that you were totally unrighteous. You know that, right? Paul talks about all his efforts, which, by the way, were very impressive by Jewish standards. He said that all of them we should count as rubbish. It's actually stronger than that. It's poo, dung. Well, Terry Virgo, I love this. Terry Virgo, who began the uh, movement of the New Frontiers that we belong to, the wider movement of churches that we were a part of. And uh, he said that when um, him and his wife, Wendy, go out um, for a walk, what they do now to warn each other that uh, there's a, a bit of dog poo on the ground is to say, watch out, there's a bit of religion there. And it's true. Religion gets you nowhere. It's nothing. It's like dung. It's like when um, you've got a, a young child 
and maybe they've had a little bit of constipation, okay? And um, it's maybe been a day or two. And you're like, oh, poor little, poor little lamb. Come on, just see if you can do a wee poo. And when it comes, you, you open up the nappy. And you're like, quick, come and see. They've done, a, they've done a poo. Well done, clever little boy, clever little girl. Parents know what I'm talking about. We think somehow that God thinks that about our religion. Nonsense, it's poo, it's rubbish, it's nothing. We need to realize that our efforts are nothing. They're nothing. They count for nothing. They're still well short of the glory of God. They're nowhere nearer to the glory of God. They're like dung. That's what we used to offer to God, but... God, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, we need to not trust in our own performance. Maybe it's my age, losing the chiseled jawline. Um, But guys, don't look in the mirror and think, I know what will give me confidence. I need a jawline exerciser. It's finished. Jesus is your righteousness. Don't try and make yourself more impressive. Just immerse yourself in Jesus. Jesus, 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 who is your righteousness. Put on gospel shoes. We need gospel readiness. Technology changes, culture changes, laws change, the weather changes, fashion changes. The word of the Lord endures forever. We need to stand firm. Paul says it three times in these verses. Stand. The people of God are not easily shaken. Why? Because we stand on Jesus. He's the solid rock. He's not sand. He's not like sand. We're not, when the storms come, we're not going to just crumble and fall and disappear. He's not like a wave tossed in the ocean. He's solid. Stand firm. Put on your gospel shoes. James 1.6 says, The person full of doubt is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Who likes Forrest Gump? I love Forrest Gump. It's like one of my favorite films. Probably says quite a lot about me. There we go. Remember the scene where Forrest and Lieutenant Dan come back from their hurricane experience. And they're the only ones to have survived the hurricane out of this whole fishing fleet. And uh, Forrest comes back waving at the cameras as these uh, news reporters are reporting that this boat has survived. Well, luck seems to follow uh, Forrest Gump around. But for the Christian, it's not luck. It's trust in the gospel. In Jesus, we come through storms. We don't avoid the storms as Christians, but we come through storms like Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan because we trust in Jesus. In them, we come out the other side. We're not wrecked by them. We can come out the other side and um, we will often have no idea what we're doing. Like they had no idea what they were doing. And face terrible storms in life. But if we trust in the gospel of Jesus, we will 
stand firm. Put on the shield of faith. Satan wants to wound you. Get that straight in your head. He's not for you. God is for you. Pick up the shield of faith because you will see fiery darts coming towards you. But be warned, a shield isn't passive. You don't just lift it and then just hold it there and not move. A shield, especially like the shields that they were talking about here in the first century that Roman soldiers had, had to be maneuvered. And so you had to look to where the fiery darts were coming and react and move and bounce them away. And Paul says here that when the fiery darts hit that shield, they'll be extinguished. So when the lies come and Satan comes with his schemes and you get your shield up, they're extinguished. In lockdown, in furlough, in being put into tier four, which I think is unfortunately quite likely this week, with masks on, in hospital beds, on ward rounds, in your room again, watching a lecture again on Zoom, in loneliness, in suffering, ask yourself, what does God say about me? Not, what does Satan say? <laughs> and by the way, he's trying to lie to you. He might say, sinner, blameless. He might say, unlovable, loved by God. He might say, Lonely, adopted by God, Abba, Father. He might say, you're a wreck. Redeemed, lavished with grace, every spiritual blessing. He might say, sinful, forgiven, saint. He might say, hopeless case, given hope, given faith. He might say, nothing that you can do. I've been given power. He might say, feeling low. You're low. You could say, raised with Christ. I'm a heavenly citizen. Pick up that shield. Be proactive with it. Watch for the fiery arrows coming towards you and move that shield to deflect and extinguish those arrows. Feeling down right now? Showing weakness. Tired of all this. Satan is trying to take advantage. Satan is trying to grind you down. Pick up that shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. Our minds need guarded. What are you regularly putting into your mind? Day by day, what goes into your head? What goes into your mind? What are you processing day by day? What do you spend time on thinking about? We do not move on from salvation. We do not graduate from the gospel. We just need to understand it more and apply it more. Genesis to Revelation, we have a story, a glorious revelation that only increases, reveals more of who God is and who Jesus is and how much we need him. And in it, 
there is wisdom for life, wisdom to live gospel-centered lives. And at the heart of it is this glorious salvation. We are saved from ourselves, from our sin and our foolishness. We are saved from Satan's lies. We are saved from the judgment of God to come. We are saved from the world and its empty promises. We're saved from this day. We're saved from pandemics and uncertainty and cancer and creaky joints and letdowns. We are saved for the hope to come. Let God's saving grace protect you, protect your minds from the kind of nonsense that can look good for a moment, might even look like salvation to you, so you put it on. Don't put it on. It will get rusty. And like water that you get from a lead pipe, it will slowly poison you. It rusts. It corrodes. It does you no good. It gives you toxins. It's degenerating. It's unreliable. In contrast, the gleaming helmet of salvation will gleam all the way to Zion. We are soldiers at war, but we march with God's salvation upon our heads all the way to Zion. All the way home. That is what is waiting for you. That is the hope of your salvation. In 1779, John Newton penned these words in his wonderful hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. It says this, Savior, if of Zion's city I through grace a member am, let the world deride our pity. I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure none but Zion's children know. (laughs) This salvation lasts. This salvation is true. This salvation will take you home to Zion. This salvation will take you to your Savior. Face to face with God, with Jesus. There is a real enemy and he is out to get you. That's the truth. But there's good news. God made you for this fight. He has clothed you with armor, so put it on, and he has given you everything you need to overcome. Now, get dressed for battle. All right, we're going to take some time to uh, have communion together. And um, we'll respond in worship as well. I'd love us to have some contributions. So this doesn't become just one or two voices every week. Actually, we'd love to see two, at least two or three. That's what we see in the instructions in 1 Corinthians. At least two or three contributions would be wonderful. We'd love to see prophetic words. So if God has been speaking with you, giving you something for us as a, as a church, please come, grab me. I'm going to stand 
uh, up here at the back, come and grab me. And hey, even if you're not sure, like we're for you, okay? So come and we can chat it through and we can make that decision together. The pressure's off you, all right, as to whether we share it this morning, uh, this afternoon or not. You might have a word um, that God has given you. You might have a picture. Maybe God's been giving you, some, giving you something while uh, the preacher's been going on or um, when Stu leads us in worship. You might have something that starts going through your mind, a picture. Come, share it with me, and we can chat again about whether we share that or not. Um, or maybe it's a, a, a scripture that you want to share. Come, grab me. Um, we need the encouragement of the people, of the priesthood of all believers, not just from a few all right, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 10, 16. It says this, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? We are one with Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We enjoy his righteousness. We can enjoy that righteousness because of what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Because he was willing to shed his blood for you, it is not our attempts at righteousness that we are judged upon. It is Christ's is this great substitution that's taken place. His blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims upon this earth. And because he has given his body for you, you can go free. And so if you know and love Jesus, this is a time for us to Remember that we are one together, his body in him. So what I'd love us to do today, don't always do this, but today I'd love us to, um, and then, and the, during the first song, just collect um, bread and wine and bring it back to your uh, seat. So we've got tables, one here, one here, one here, one here. Um, so whichever one's closest to you, grab some bread, grab some, some juice and take it back. To your seat, and then together um, we'll take uh, bread and wine in just a moment. But um, in the meantime, over to Stu, and uh, yeah, let me pray for us as uh, he begins. Lord God, we we love you. <laughs> we just think you're so magnificent, glorious, majestic. We just want to say thank you so much for coming to rescue us. And Lord, we thank you that although we are now joined in with you in this battle, we know that we follow after a commander who has overcome, who one day will lead us home to Zion. And right now in this battle, Lord, we pray that you would help us in your wonderful name, Jesus, to be everything that you have called us to be in this world. Not to be timid and back away, but to put on the armor and step out Joshua-like fashion. Step out 
into the land. Step out in the power of your kingdom, relying on the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray today that people would discover gifts as your spirit comes. Come, Holy Spirit. We'd have fire just their hearts for what you want them to do. Bring us prophecies and pictures. Bring us words. Come Lord Jesus.